looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have signaturedhorror.com that's right signaturehorror.com
thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. What's going on, world? This is Mark Hina, world's strongest man, not in just one, not two, but three different sports. And I am on the crazy train. Hey, folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc. Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. This next guest needs no introduction, but let's go ahead and give him one anyway since it's well earned. He has been known as an American powerlifter, an Olympic weightlifter, strongman, and retired professional wrestler that is currently signed under a legends contract but also does a little producing work on the side for WWE. He is a two-time Olympian in 1992 and 1996 proudly representing the US. He has been a medalist at the Pan American Games in 1995. He has also been a two-time US national champion in 1995 and 1997. He also won the first annual Arnold Strongman Classic in 2002. As far as the wrestling career, over his career, 
he has been given a nod on several occasions as a one-time WWF European Champion and a two-time World Champion as ECW Champion in 2008 but also the World Heavyweight Champion in 2011. In 2018 he was given possibly his biggest honor and nod from the company as being inducted as a member of the 2018 WWE Hall of Fame class. This guest, Mark Henry. Well, we'll start right here because we've been talking, uh, folks, uh, this guest, Mark Henry. We've been talking a few minutes here about the pandemic and stuff. So first and foremost, thank you for joining me and Evan here. Obviously, we've been talking about artists struggling with the pandemic and just everything like that. How's things for you down in uh, Austin, Texas there? You know, man, I'm really blessed that um, the one constant during the pandemic was pro wrestling. Pro wrestling um, survived everything that that, uh, has ever come in American history. Uh, including the Civil War, uh, there were there were points where Ulysses Grant had meetings with the with the other generals, and he would always apologize for how things looked because we had professional wrestling last night. And you 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 see if if you could have a pan, if you can have a pandemic and uh, pro wrestling never misses a beat. Um, you just work without a crowd. Uh, it's, it's the true Broadway. I mean, it's um, people underestimate the acting chops, if you will, and they underestimate the education and understanding of psychology and timing as it relates to pro wrestlers. Um, at one point, there was probably 38 wrestlers with college degrees. I challenge you to go find an NFL football team or um, uh, a baseball team or basketball team or hockey team um, that has that many educated men uh, working together and trying to bounce ideas off each other. And, you know, that's not where the drama is. That's not where the theater is. It's, it's always um, a thing that's brought up in the conversation. Like, how do we captivate? How do we uh, take people for a ride? How do we swerve them? How do they, look, we're showing you this, but behind your back, something else is going on. How do we do that? And um, that is the true nature of pro wrestling and why it'll never go away. Because, um, and and in that movie, the wrestler that you made, there were there were some real live real live family uh, psychological issues that went on is the reason why people could understand because they can feel that pain and and think about all the movies and stories that's going to be made now out of this pandemic. Sure, all of the things that have happened and uh, I saw a video. It was sad. It was really really sad. Um, three people lost their lives because of, of being just frustration, being frustrated. Like, you know, I mean, this is just 
in the past week. Um, I think it was up in Minnesota or somewhere where it was snowing real bad and the guy was dumping, pushing his snow into somebody else's driveway out of his driveway. They got in an argument and the guy came out and shot the guy, shot his wife who was screaming at him and then went in his house and shot himself. Like there's, there's levels of frustration and pain that nobody knows how to deal with because it's been a hundred plus years since the black death. And, you know, just nobody knows how to deal with it. Good friend of of mine um, swallowed a bottle of pills mid pandemic. He couldn't take the quarantine. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Suicides are up. Child abuse, spousal abuse. It's tough being um, quarantined. And uh, you're right. Um, tough times creates great art and there's going to be a lot of films and books um, that'll come from this unfortunately yeah. but it will yeah, it's unfortunate but uh, art always imitates life and people have said that it was the opposite <laughs> but uh, I beg to differ right. you, you draw your inspiration off of what really happened uh, in every genre of film, in every genre of music. I mean, can you imagine a world if it was perfect? Yeah, be boring. There would be no blues. <laughs> Marvin Gaye said he wrote from great love and great pain. When he was in love, he wrote. And when he was in serious pain, he wrote. And, and that's the way it's always going to be. Well, speaking of which, obviously things are going well for you, Mark. But you were on the road for so many years you know, 250, 300 days a year. Is it kind of nice to be close to home with your kids and wife, even though we're in a pandemic? Yeah, I actually like my wife. (laughs) (laughs) I know know a lot of people that are just like miserable at home. And, you know, my kids are good kids. And I'm trying to raise them to be the president. I'm trying to raise them to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I'm, I'm, I'm raising them to be uh, somebody that everybody likes and respects and appreciates when they come around. And uh, when you when you live like that and you, you you practice that, you know you tend to have some pretty good times. Well, you know what's interesting too, and this was going back, I guess, back in the summertime. You had a picture on your Instagram when all the craziness was still going on as far as the police and just the interactions of different people and groups and cultures, you had a picture of your family out peacefully protesting. It was nice to see that. I don't know how old your kids are, but they were old enough to realize what is going on in the world and that they want to show support and that, Hey, let's do the right thing, folks. Yeah, they were they were 10 and 14 at the time, now 15 and 11. And um, they saw how negatively um, things were going. And the, 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 the depression in, in the kids was the thing that made us do it. Because we, we underestimate what the kids see and understand um, as adults we can compartmentalize the negative things and block it and say, well, that's, that's, that's another problem. That's somebody else's problem. Um, if I'm, if I'm experiencing it or being a part of it, the negativity or, 
Uh, I'm a part of, I mean, I'm a black dude in America. I've been pulled over for driving a nice car in a neighborhood where my family members live that was less fortunate than me. And uh, I was accused of being a, dry, a drug dealer or a pimp or uh, everything else. And uh, when you get put on your knees with a gun to your head, uh, because the people are afraid and not, uh, and, and, and it's a it's a horrible, horrible job being a police officer. People, they're, they're the most underpaid people outside of school teachers probably in the world. Uh, the job is very dangerous, uh, a lot of stress. Uh, a lot of those guys have problems too. I mean, like pandemic type problems just in their lives. And um, what if you're having a bad day? Now you go to work and you take your bad day to work with you and somebody is telling you no and you like, well, I'm the authority here. And you go, yeah, but there's rules to this authority and they're not in their right mind. <laughs> they're not they're not thinking about your problems or they're thinking about their problems and how they feel. So, you know, without the proper education for these men and women, uh, you're going to have problems. And I'm not saying I have all answers, but I have some of them and they're pretty easy to do. Respect the people that you serve because, uh, you know, you're in the service business. It says pr protect and serve and you should ask for help. If I saw a cop struggling with some dude and that dude was crazy or that dude, I'm going to help the cop. But a lot of times these cops today, I mean, they just like, get out of the way. It ain't none of your business. You know, I got this, you know, and it's not the way that you serve society. You know, it's like that it's got to be a reprogramming phase. But um, that's not what this uh, interview is about. But right. you know, we can go on for hours on those topics. That's you can go off on a tangent, man. Oh, could we? Can I, can I just can I just briefly add, I've had friends and family who are cops, and I've known good and bad cops. I've seen yeah. both sides of it. I, I've had friends who have never once in 25 years pulled out their gun, defused every situation, loved people, every race, creed, and color, and I've known bad cops. I've seen both sides. So I have too. Any profession. Any profession. Yeah. yeah. But... Let's go back to the uh, fun stuff. Recently, you were on a Raw Legends down in the, the Thunderdome, and people saw you on a uh, little uh, cart thing because your foot was in a boot. What yeah, happened? one of these scooters. Yes. Uh, what is the status of your foot? Because Rick did mention your agent that you uh, recently had surgery in January and all. So what? how you feeling? What's going on? Did, did he tell you how it happened? No, he didn't say. You know what? Um, the there's a level of, of as smart as we always think we are. Yeah, we yeah. can be so stupid at times. <laughs> I was so stupid, man. Just what happened? It's almost embarrassing, but you know, luckily enough, now we can laugh about it. I uh, I hit my toe uh, in between my toes on a uh, stool, on a metal stool. And it bruised. And I had a big blood blister that formed. And me and all my wisdom uh, <laughs> to relieve the pressure, 
I cut it open um, with a razor and um, it got infected. Mm. And then I thought that I was a doctor because I slept at a Holiday Inn last night. And <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm putting alcohol and peroxide on it, band-aids, like, it'll be all right. And no, it got infected. And for two weeks, I limped around, limping, it was hurting. And I figured, you know what? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll bounce back. It'll be all right. It'll heal up. And it wouldn't heal up because the infection, the tissue was dying. Mm. And uh, then the, then it got in my blood and um, I started like feeling kind of like weakly, like just, you know, way not me. I'm, I'm full of piss and vinegar most times. And um, I was feeling pretty bad. And finally, I, my daughter convinced me of going to see a, see my doctor. And he was like, yeah, you need to go see somebody. I went. That doctor said, you need to go to the hospital. Wow. This is really infected. It's not going to heal. The tissue is dying. I went to the hospital. They said, look, we're going to put you on a pick line. You need at least three or four days of intravenous um, antibiotics. And I, I could have lost my leg. Uh, luckily enough for me and uh, you know, for those people that believe in God, man, God put like the best doctor that just happened to be in the hospital that day and mm -hmm. knew my name and said, well, let me take a look at it. Just randomly on his own time. And he said, yeah, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Um, I can see if I can squeeze you in to do a surgery tomorrow, if we can get it done the sooner the better. And that's what happened. So I got the surgery. They took the dead tissue and, and uh, the uh, infected area out. And, um, you know, I stayed there, healed up in the, you know, in the hospital, got the infection. They gave me some meds and sent me home. So I had that boot on. I had it. Well, actually put a cast on it. And then I ended up having that boot. So that's why I was on the scooter. But isn't it funny how it's, What's the expression, the mouth of babes, where your daughter ended up saying, Dad, get it checked out? Yeah. If it wouldn't have been for her, I would have tried to tough it out some more, which, you know, toughing it out some more would have made that worse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm just blessed, man. Like, I really am. Well, there was some, I was doing some homework here and was watching some of the tables for table for threes that you were a part of with fellow nation members and just the different appearances and chit chat you guys were doing. And there was a story on the second one I watched of Ron Simmons. I believe it was in either Baltimore or DC introduced you to a old school legend. Uh, yeah. Could you Mr. tell that Lindy. story? Um, there was a, there was a gentleman that used at every show in Baltimore he wrestled in the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s. And back when uh, the, uh, the black people had to sit in the mezzanine, they had to sit in the rooftop and they couldn't sit on the floor next to the ring and that kind of thing. 
And uh, he talked about, you know, helping Bobo Brazil and helping all these other uh, early wrestlers um, come up to, you know, come about and uh, mentor them. And uh, he used to come to all the shows. He would have his cane and he would be sitting in the back and everybody that came in, he would sit right in the walkway where everybody had to come in so he could see everybody and shake everybody's hand. And um, uh, Ron Simmons pulled me aside when I first came in, when I first started traveling the road. And he said, um, you, you know you know that who that man is? And I was like, no, he said, go introduce yourself. And I went and talked to him. Man, like I talked to him for about two hours there to come get me and say, hey, you know you got to work tonight, right? Like, get your ass to work. I mean, I just had so much fun talking to him about wrestling because I was a wrestling fan. That was the reason that I, I ended up being a pro wrestler is the fact that I was such a fan. And, man, he just told me all these stories, man. He told me about Jim Mitchell, the original Black Panther, you know, from the 30s and 40s during the war. And he was like, you know, Bobo Brazil was pretty damn good. He was, he was pretty good, but he ain't no Jim Mitchell. I was like, he's like, he the real, he the first brother to, to break the color line. He he was selling out buildings with Gorgeous George in California and Australia and traveling the world when no other black man would do that because people were fearful. He said Jim Mitchell wasn't scared of nobody. You, you know the one, and I know Evan could speak to this guy. The one guy I heard similar to that was Thunderbolt Patterson. Yeah, he was just. A brick shit house that didn't give a damn about nobody's opinion. Racism didn't exist to him. If you called him the N-word, he tried to kill you. <laughs> yeah, Thunderbolt, the stories I've heard about him, he would, wouldn't be afraid to tell you what, what was what and what was on his mind the whole nine yards, that's for sure. Yeah, and he, he was he was really good friends um, with a guy that lived in Canada, um, uh, Luther Lindsay. And Luther Lindsay was really good friends with Stu Hart. Yeah. And I mean, they were like brothers. And um, they tried to get him to move to Canada and just work in Calgary and work in Halifax, uh, where they had the most success in wrestling up north. And uh, he, you know, he wanted to be here. You know, we, we all want to live where we were born. We want to you know, travel the world and in, in, in where it's comfortable. But during that time in America, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, good for people of color. Uh, I mean, it's starting to get better now that uh, we've had regime, regime changes in our country and people are, are, are acknowledging the fact that there needs to be equality, but um, we got a long way to go. I'll never forget in 1992, we did a tribute to Sam Muchnick, the great promoter out of St. Louis. Yeah. And uh, Killer Kowalski was at the podium and he started talking about Woody Strode, how back in the Jim Crow days, he would sneak Woody Strode into the hotels and he started crying. He got so emotional. And the room was full of these like old school legends and they're crying. And I don't think people realize 
just how tough it was on those guys back in the day. You know, a Shag Thomas, Sweet Daddy Seeky. There's a documentary on Sweet Daddy Seeky where he talks about the clan was sitting at a match he was at down south. He's wrestling Buddy Rogers. So, you know, one, you got the match, and two, you have to get out of there alive. I mean, right. yeah, yeah, you know. You, I mean, I, I've heard the uh, they in, 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 in American history, everybody's familiar with the Underground Railroad. Sure. Yeah. And um, um, in pro wrestling in the 40s and 50s and 60s, um, people didn't realize it, but a lot of times the black wrestlers would be in the trunks of cars hmm. to get out of the arenas, to get out of the parking lots. and Especially and the hills. And as all the hills. Yeah. All the hills yeah. was in the trunks yeah. or in the back seat on the floorboard. And I mean, it's a horrible reality, but it was a reality. Since you're more closer to the current generation than some of those, the 40s, 50s, 60s, et cetera, from what you've seen, has things improved on that front? Oh, my God, yes. I mean, things have improved dramatically because in the 70s and 80s, uh, people were angry. You know, black black wrestlers were um, more likely to carry a gun or a knife, and if you did something, then they would retaliate. And of course, you know, Martin Luther King uh, and the peace movement and trying to do it legitly and and ch- make those changes uh, using your brains rather than using your brawn uh, changed a lot of talent. You know, and then you know we started to get the the guys in the in the in the seventies and eighties that you know they they actually some you know they made it bad for African American wrestlers and then you had people like Ernie Ladd who came along and was like listen I'm an educated man I played pro football I'm not dummying myself down for nobody if that's the way y'all want to be then you know I go wrestle somewhere else and then they was like no 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 Ernie we want you here and um, Ernie was the first black booker. Like he handled all the money, took the gate. He 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 booked that the the towns, organized the tours, kept it. I mean, he was the cream of the crop. If, if anybody in black in wrestling history that had a bad word to say about Ernie, that mean that they were on his shit list. You know, he was the one that told me when I came into business. He was like, listen, don't mess it up for everybody black after you. We, we did a lot of work to get this business to where they can pay you the money that they're paying you and give you a guaranteed contract because that, I'm going to tell you right now, that don't exist nowhere else except for with you. Don't mess it up. And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. And, well, I, and I have. The other guy that I think of that's a pillar like an Ernie Ladd, and I know I mentioned him earlier, and I'm sure you got – a ton of stories on him. Mr. Ron Simmons, you know, first black heavyweight champion, just the man's legacy speaks for itself. Would you say he's one of those pillars to help things along in the wrestling business? He is. Um, he, he, Ron was uh, a no, no nonsense man. I always said that in the dictionary, under the word man, it was a picture of Ron Simmons in the thinking pose. I mean, he was a man. 
and he would look every person that he came in contact with in the eye, Satan himself, and, and say, listen, this, you could talk you to talk paint drive you want to. I know what it is. This is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. And um, he, he would always tell all of us in the nation, you know, like, uh, if you feel like you got to put your hands on somebody, you come to me first, and I'll tell you whether or not it's a good thing to do because some people you could beat them senseless and it's not going to fix anything. He said, I want to fix the problem before they get ass whooped. And well, it was a way to think. And, and he was a strong, intelligent um, man. Like he was fair. Ryan wasn't a bully. He could have been a bully. You talk about there have been bullies in this world. Ron Simmons could have been a bully. I mean, this is a dude that back in the days where guys his size weren't running four or five, four, six forties, benching close to 450 pounds and had the agility to, to, to move around like a running back. Like he just came along too soon. Like if he if he if he was to be a 20-year-old today. He would be an outside edge rusher. He would be a middle linebacker. They would they would do more. He was so strong back then that they put him on the line. They wasted him. Like he would have been a pro, a, a perennial Pro Bowl, and uh, the greatest Florida State football player to ever exist. And they had Deion Sanders for Christ's yeah. sake. Yeah. So exactly. Um, Is. I mean, he, he, it, we would be here all day talking about how I feel about Ron Simmons. Um, he, he's still my my favorite uh, African-American wrestler of all time for what he did, and he loved to laugh. He, 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 he wanted to hear jokes. Like, come on, I know somebody got a joke in here. Like, man, I, I'm telling you, somebody tell a joke. Like, he was big for it. Just like you said, not many people saw it saw that side of him, but I got a chance to deal with him for a couple of days in Florida a couple of years ago. And that did just you tell him first... a joke? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he did ask about a joke, but <laughs> it, it didn't go over well, but he's like, just that per... <laughs> you know how he is. No uh, sold it the whole bit, you know. Damn. Damn. Exactly, damn, pretty could, much. Without that. <laughs> but but like you said, his just his personality being around him, it I couldn't find a better guy. Oh my God, there, there, there's not. You'd be wasting your time trying to find it. Like he, he legitimately wants the world to be a better place. He wants wrestling to be better, and he wants the young people to make the wrestling industry better. And he don't. It, it's not coming from a place of arrogance. No, it's, it's coming from a place of hey, we got a responsibility. Otherwise. This is not going to keep going. It's going to die, and then, you know, it'll be our fault. Like, I don't want to be at fault. Like, that's Ron's mentality. Well, speaking of which, I know currently, and the underlining theme, I think, of this whole conversation has been about respect yeah. across all boards. You work with the company still, the WWE, as far as working with young guys and everything else like that. Do you think... 
in some of the old school ways, such as that you hear about like a wrestler's court or different things, like to keep checks and balances of things could work in today's society where there's a little more or more of a PC culture. Yeah, I mean, right now, now wrestler's court is more uh, more for show than go. Yeah. Because, you know, the com- companies that, you know, really draw money in this world um, are corporate. And um, these corporate entities, they're not going to hire you if you're rotten. They're not, when I say rotten, I mean uh, unreliable. Um, a cancer in the locker room, uh, jaded and not willing to do business. Uh, how many actors uh, uh, or, uh, have you dealt with that when 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 you saw that they were hired for a project, you were like, oh, my God, this is going to be so difficult. It's like pulling teeth to get this guy to see it the way that everybody else sees the character being... You know, and and, and pro wrestling, it's the same. It's 100% the same. The first thing you learn is um, avoid the problems. Avoid the people, because it's hard enough. It's all hard enough. Yeah, Yeah, it's hard enough as it is. Why would you make it worse? Exactly. But uh, thinking of uh, this corporate side of things, the younger talent and not being a cancer and such, I know you have your fingerprints on a couple younger guys that were seen on TV now that you help bring in and recruit Apollo Cruz, the 21 uh, Rumble winner, Bianca Belair, Braun Strowman. What was it about these guys that stood out to you initially when you said, Hey, why don't you get this a shot? It's like uh, Robin Williams. Uh, have you ever been in a room where Robin Williams walked in the room? No, no, unfortunately. Well, I was. And um, when he came in the room, it was like uh, everybody in the room went. Some people didn't know who he was right off the bat, but right away he's, he, he draws the attention. He's an entertainer to his heart, to his core. He can't help it. He don't even, Jim Carrey is another one. Muhammad Ali, like there's certain people that they have this thing. Some of it is visual. Usually these people were really good looking people. Robin Williams, not so much. But but some of these people, they have something about them that's so different. You can tell it by... The, the flexion in their voice, the passion that they speak with, the, the intensity, you know, Jim Brown. Jim Brown was not flamboyant. He was not glib. But when Jim Brown walked in a room, people were like, who, who, who is that guy, man? That dude looks like he just feels powerful. Yeah, and aura. Some people just feel that way. You know, I mean, I've seen some women that were so gorgeous that right away when they walk in the room, people go, holy shit, who is that? That's 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 what I look for. And Braun Strowman, um, he was ranked like sixth in the in the in the country. Like he was like the sixth best guy in the US and strongman. 
And he came in the locker room and, he, and uh, well, not in the locker room, but in the dressing area. And he was like, all right, boys, y'all ready? Got my brand new tattoo, country strong. And I was like, who's that? <laughs> who's that? He, 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 he owned the room. He walked in and, and right away he was holding court, telling jokes, you know, talking about his night. Yeah, man, I left one at the hotel room. I don't know how good I'm gonna perform today. Yeah, yeah just random <laughs> bullshit. Like, and Bianca Belair was the same way. I, 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 I'm flipping the channels and I see this CrossFit show and this girl has a fluffy tutu on and a big giant bow in her hair with Mickey Mouse on it. And, and, and she's lifting, I mean, she's kicking people's ass. And then she's she getting ready to lift and she turns a backflip, yeah. lands on her feet and then does a clean and then presses overhead and then goes to the next event. She, she's exerting energy that she needs to compete. Yeah. Like if you if you got that, I want you. That's yeah. that's what I was looking for. That's what I look for. Well, that's kind of like you in a powerlifting. Yeah, I, I, I clowned. I acted fool. I had a good time. I had energy to spare because I didn't feel like I was working. I love what I was doing. Daniel Bryan, I saw him on a show I was in Canada. And I'm watching this guy work this indie show. And I'm like, holy shit. This guy is hilarious. He's great. And I don't know if y'all know who this guy, I mean, everybody knows who Benny Hill is. You remember who Benny Hill? Sure, the, the comedian. Indie, comedian. And he was like the English Charlie Chaplin. Type right, guy. right, right. He he went to school, theater school with a, a wrestler during that time named Les Kellett. Oh yeah. And he was an actor, he was a he was a he was a thespian, he was a real actor's actor, but he was also a wrestler. Right, right. And Les Kellett was one of the people that I would always tell people, hey man. If you want to be entertained in wrestling, like you need to watch this guy. Hmm. I saw Daniel Bryan do things like that, and 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 I, he he didn't know who Les Kellett was. I said, bro, you're doing stuff naturally that arguably one of the greatest wrestling entertainers, you know, performed that stick. And he was like, oh man, that's cool, thank you. I was like, oh, you modest, you humble. Yeah. You need to be a little bit more arrogant because you are good. And I had to lie to them to get them to look at him. Really? Because uh, he's, you know, 5'9", something like that, you know, 175 pounds he was at the time. Hmm. You know, didn't have one giant muscle that you can see. <laughs> you right, know, right. he's just a guy. But he was really good. And I said, oh, man, you got to see this guy. Man, he's like six foot, 200 pounds. Just, you know, really go. They were like, well, shit, bring him in. All right. I was yeah. like, damn, you're in. <laughs> All right. 
he's, he's, he's really, you know, Brian Danielson. But, you know, I used to see Brian Danielson against Nigel McGuinness. It was like flair and steamboat. It was unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, they yeah. used to kill it. Unbelievable. Kill it. Yeah. And I thought about it when you used a reference of uh, seeing folks like Robin Williams and different people have that energy walking in a room. I can say I was in a room one time with somebody you know quite well that I would say has that energy. Big show. No, yes, he has it, but it wasn't show. I was going to say Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. That there's yeah, just some, yeah. even if you didn't ha know who he was at the time, you go. Listen, <laughs> Dwayne came from Canada. He played for the Calgary Stampeders. Yeah. He came from Canada, and I, I was at the, at the uh, Titan Tower, and they said, hey, man, this new guy, you know, he's going to be uh, – He's going to be joining us and training, you know, to be a wrestler. Um, and his response to the guy telling me, introducing me to him was, oh, I'm already a wrestler. I just need to get some practice. That's what he said. <laughs> and um, I was like, uh, he was like, man, I, I, I got to I gotta find a place to stay because, you know, like uh, they, the hotel is only going to they're only going to pay for my hotel for two more days. And then uh, I got to get find find a place. And I had an apartment already. I had an extra bedroom. And I was like, well, man, I got an extra bedroom. I mean, you know, you pay the light bill, you know, you come live with me. And he was like, shit, cool, let's do it. And so he moved in with me and we lived together for about eight months. And, you know, I went out with him one night and we walked into this, you know, little party at the Holiday Inn ballroom. And I was like, where are you going? And he was like, I'm going over here by the bathroom. And I was like, why are you going by the bathroom? He was like, because every, all, all the girls gonna have to come go to, go to the bathroom. Sure. And I was like, oh, I see. And he, was, he, he had the corniest, I'm like, girl, you washed them hands? Did you wash your hands? And <laughs> Start a conversation. Yeah. Now it's I was like, man, everybody not like that. Yeah. You don't have the confidence. You don't have the look that that made people stop and go, oh yeah, I'll talk to you. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> man, girls would walk by and, and he would be like, hmm. <laughs> and they go, what? And I'll be like, got him. <laughs> got him. <laughs> It's over. Close the deal, man. Close it. Yes. I never lack confidence. I've never, I've never in my life been shy. Um, I always felt like when I walked in the room, I was going to outdo everybody that was there. I'm very competitive. And if, if I find out about you, I'm going to read up on you so I know things about you. And that's, you know, I didn't, I, I hadn't heard of your podcast. So I went on the internet and I reviewed the podcast, like what people said about it, how it was, you know, taken. And um, that's more people need to do that. People just don't do enough investigation of stuff. They just take what people uh, what people say. So, you know, getting to have this conversation and, 
you know, you mentioning Evan mentioning Nigel McGinnis and Daniel working. Like I know who he is now. <laughs> I know a little bit of who he is inside. And man, that's 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 you got to know what to pick and choose out of conversations to make stuff happen. Uh, I'm, I've been a success in everything I've ever done. I've failed, but I failed because I lost track of what I was supposed to be doing at that time. Sometimes you can put too many irons in the fire, mm -hmm. and I and that's that's usually where I failed. Um, but my interests, you know, as I've gotten older, have started to diminish. Like I, I focus on wrestling, I focus on radio, and uh, I focus on acting, and that's that's it. Well, final question for you, because you brought up his name, Big Show. Now, obviously, I've heard Big Show talk about you outside the ring with food. And he goes, wherever we're at and across the country, Mark knows where to go, where to eat, where to drink, the whole bit. Name but, a city. Let's go Houston. Houston. Crab and crab and, and noodles. There's a place called Crab and Noodles. Okay. And they bring you pot like you uh like they're like seafood balls. And you can like they put like corn and sausage and crawfish or shrimp or scallops or whatever, whatever you want. Alaskan king crab. And they put all these different sauces in them. And they tie these, spin these bags, and then they bring it and sit it on the table, and they put newspaper, and everybody eats, you know, out of the bag. That's, have, that's one of the ones. And then, of course, you know, uh, Nifas, uh Mexican restaurant, they're the place where they invented fajitas. It's, it's a no-brainer. Go. Go enjoy yourself. Exactly. But uh, if we were to come to Austin, to the Henry household, I heard you've been dabbling in cooking yourself. So what kind of meals? Mom was a chef. The only thing that I know better than sports and entertainment is cooking. And I get if you if you came to my house and I wanted to make your face hit the floor, I probably do oxtail stew and polenta, uh, maybe like a. a because I sense this New York type of feeling, this, you know, I would probably do a smoked gouda polenta and I'd do sauteed onions and mushrooms with a garlic wine sauce. And I, I'd probably make some uh, cornbread, you know, a lot of, just because I'm a Texan, um, a lot of people, they just eat grilled bread or flat bread or garlic bread, or, you know, but I would have to do some, uh, do some cornbread. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. Where can folks catch you besides Busted Open if they want to see where Mark Henry's up to? You know what? Like right now, um, you can go on my social media, the Mark Henry, T-H-E, uh, Mark Henry on every platform. Um, it'll lead you to MarkHenry.com. Um, I'm, I'm rebuilding my site to be more... Um, actor friendly um I'm, I'm actually gonna meet with um a producer and director uh, from a show in in london 
um, next week and hopefully get that going. Like um, it'll be a prominent role on a cop show. Wow. And, um, mm. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to diversify, man, and more in the acting world than I am anything else. Radio is my passion. I always wanted to be a DJ when I was a young kid and it turned into sports talk. So um, I'm, I'm doing, I'm only doing the stuff that I'm passionate about. That's the way to do it. If only everybody could be as lucky to be able to be in that spot. That's for sure. I wish that everybody was, I'm not greedy. I'm not jealous. I want to see everybody do good. Um, but I, I, I realize that you, you have to really educate yourself on what it's going to take for whatever you pick. And some people just jump into stuff without really considering all the variables. Like I stopped doing that when I was 25. Create art, not product. Yes. Seriously. Preach. There you go. Uh, that's, that's from the cloth. There you go. Oh, uh, Mark Henry, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me, man. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh my God. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. You're naughty. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on. Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, Increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio, and don't ever forget, I love you.